Canby New Life Foursquare Church welcomes you. We're located at 2350 Southeast Territorial Road, just off Highway 99E. We hope the following message will be a blessing to you. Thank you. Well, good morning. It's good to see everybody today. It's great to be here. I look forward to this this time of year because there's a lot of things going on. And some of my favorite things, of course, are water baptism and baby dedication. I don't know if you saw that picture of me dedicating a baby. That's my third grandchild. And it's been so much fun for Annette and I to watch our grandkids grow up. Ella, she's the oldest. Watch her personality develop. She'll be six next week. And then Jack is growing up. He's going to be, uh, is he going to be four in December? And then Jojo, he's the third one. He uh, just turned one. And we have nicknamed him the Honey Badger. And there's a reason he's nicknamed the Honey Badger. One is because he's bow-legged. And, uh, and he goes wherever he wants to go. It doesn't matter. He just goes where he wants to go. And he eats whatever he wants to eat. No kidding. He'll just eat whatever he wants to eat. Uh, the other day, he was found in the house, and we had a little snail trail, and he was just licking it off the floor. That's how he cleaned up for grandma, you know, just lick up. And, and then they spent the night, Friday night, and, and I had two of them with me, and I said, Annette, where's the honey badger? She goes, I don't know. Is the bathroom door open? I said, I don't know. Ran in. He was chucking stuff in the toilet, man. He's just going. And then he worked around. I worked around the kid's yard the other day, and he followed me around. And uh, I looked down, and he's laying flat on the ground, and he's eating the moss off the sidewalk. And I thought, this is one honey badger right here. And so that's, hence his name. And uh, he is, uh, he's serious about something. If he puts his mind to something, he just doesn't see anything else. He's pretty... R- focused. He goes after what he wants. So uh, it's always fun to, to hang out with him. We have good stories, don't we? A lot of good stories. So well, it's good to have you today. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do something today because several weeks ago while we were in our study in the book of Ephesians, I told you that I wanted to return to one particular passage that I skipped over and I did that purposefully. My thinking at the time was that this would be one great lesson for us to learn as we launched our fall season. Well, now it's the fall season, and the scripture I'm referring to is in the book of Ephesians chapter 4. It's Ephesians chapter 4, verses 7 through 16. And so would you open your Bible with me, if you would, to Ephesians 4, 7 through 16. And we're going to take a look at what the Apostle Paul says about how Jesus has empowered us to serve. And when we talk about service, we're not only talking about serving the church and serving each other, but ultimately we're talking about serving the world. That's what we've been called to do. That's our great mission. And if you've noticed, that's the mission of Christ. I mean, at the core of his mission, he said, I have not come to be served. Rather, I've come to serve others. Now, you probably noticed again, it was already mentioned that on your way in, you saw the the booths out there. This is our ministry fair. Those are some of the ministries that are represented here. We put those out there to remind you and really give you access to places that you can serve, places you can grow, places that you can connect. And we do that for a reason. We want you to be aware of what's going on here. And now I'm going to put in a plug for one particular ministry, and that's our preschool ministry with Joanne Jameson. So if you want to get involved, a great place to get involved. As I said earlier, uh, Joanne, you owe me $20 now. I gave the, a- the advertisement, and, 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 and it's a great place to get involved. There's so many good places, really, uh, to get involved. And I want to read this scripture with you today. It's a great passage of scripture, and if you would follow along, beginning of verse 7, it says, But to each one of us grace has been given as Christ apportioned it. 
This is why it says, when he ascended on high, he took many captives, gave gifts to his people. What does he ascended mean? Except he also descended to the lower earthly regions. He who descended is the very one who ascended higher than all the heavens in order to fill the whole universe. So Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors and the teachers to equip his people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. Then we will no longer be infants, tossed back and forth by the waves and blown here and there by every wind of teaching and by the cunning and craftiness of people in their deceitful scheming. Instead, speaking the truth in love, we will grow to become in every respect the mature body of him who is the head, that is, Christ. From him the whole body, joined and held together by every supporting ligament, grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. Wow. This is a brilliant plan for serving. This is an incredible strategy that's laid out for us by the Apostle Paul, inspired by the Holy Spirit on how we should serve. Now, here's what I love about the plan. Number one, everyone who's a Christ follower is included. No one is left out. Number two, it's people investing in people. It's all about relationships. Where there are people problems, God always sends people solutions. Did you notice that in scripture? He doesn't bring in some institute. He doesn't bring in some sort of technology. He doesn't work that way. If there is a people problem, then there will be a people solution. Number three is this. The plan has a clear objective. I love that about plans. I hate it when a boss or somebody says to me, hey, go do this and I have no plan. There's no objective. Why am I doing what I'm doing? There needs to be a clear objective. That's certainly what Paul gives us here. He is somebody who's making it very clear. What is the plan? What is the purpose? Uh, to become more like Christ. So that we would be built up. We would attain a, a, a posture, a character like Jesus Christ. And then number four is this. The creator of this plan he has personally and sacrificially invested. You know, there's nothing more that makes me nervous or, or gets me on edge. And when someone comes and they have this wonderful plan, and I ask them, so how much have you invested in this? Well, not really. I, I haven't done much. That makes me nervous. It really does. Have you watched the reality show, what my wife and I watch? It's called The Shark Tank. You know, it's where you have all those shark investors and they're sitting there like a panel and people come in and try to sell their products. Pay attention to it. If you watch it again, if you haven't watched it, watch it. Because one of the first questions that those sharks will ask those that are being interviewed is, how much have you invested in this product? They want to know if you put your sweat and blood into it. And we can be sure of this. We know this, that Jesus put everything into it. His life, his death, his resurrection. He invested in this plan. It's a sure deal. And it's a great investment for us. 
So what is the human reason for this plan or strategy in the first place? I mean, when you look at this, you have to understand there's a genesis here. There's kind of a beginning and what prompted this kind of of dialogue, this kind of really instruction that Paul was having with the church of Ephesus. Well, the best that I can tell in scripture is this was God's response to a problem the early church faced in Acts chapter 6. Now, some of you know the history there, but right from the beginning of this account, we learned that there was trouble in paradise. I mean, everything was great and wonderful, and we get to Acts chapter 6, and we have some church members were complaining about what was going on. There were several reasons for their complaints. One of the main reasons, it was an obvious reason, was that people's needs were being overlooked, widows in particular. They weren't receiving what they needed to receive as far as the help. They, they, they desperately needed. They didn't have retirement. They didn't have social security. So what did they depend on? They depended on the faith community. So, it, so if, if a husband died, then this widow would be taken care of by the faith community. But with all this growth in the church, there were so many widows that the apostles couldn't keep up with them all. But what made the problem even more difficult was this growing rift. I mean, really, almost a split in this congregation. And the split was happening between what we would call the Hebraic Jews and the Hellenistic Jews. The Hebraic Jews were those that really followed the Jewish laws and traditions and customs. Well, they felt that the the Hellenistic Jews felt like the Hebraic Jews were getting better treatment than them. And, And really, they were. And so you start to see this problem. This split is taking place. The situation had become so difficult that the, the leaders really didn't know what to do. They were trying to meet everyone's needs, but they couldn't keep up with it. And in fact, they were beginning to neglect their primary responsibilities as spiritual leaders. Teaching the word, spending time, uh, leading people in discipleship. The teaching and the worship life of the church began to suffer. And, and this was no small problem. This was a huge problem. The leaders of this congregation, if they didn't figure it out, it had the potential to split the church or at least derail it from its mission. And so what they do is they get together, they pray, and they put together this this plan. It's a basic plan on how they're going to take care of people in the body of Christ. Well, now you fast forward about 30 years. That's when Paul wrote the book of Ephesians and go to chapter 4. And now the plan has become a little more advanced. Thank God for the intellect of the apostle Paul. The Holy Spirit could inspire him to write things like we've just read. And this is how the church is to take care of itself now. These are the ways that we see the church being taken care of. So just like God, he took what could have been a disastrous situation and he turned it around. He turned it around. And it's amazing because what he says in Ephesians 4 is I want to give people gifts to the church. I want the church to be built up. I want the church to be blessed. In verse 11, Paul tells us what those gifts are. You can follow along. There are five gifts that are listed there, people gifts. One is apostle. The Bible says that Jesus gave the church apostles, someone sent out by God to bring and work out the good news of Jesus Christ. And then there were prophets, someone who was inspired and filled with the Holy Spirit. They were given insight into God's word and how it applied to people's lives. And then there were evangelists. These are people who share their faith with others and they reap this amazing harvest of souls. 
And then we have pastors. These are people who shepherd God's flock and they do life together day in and day out with people. And then there are teachers. Teachers are people who have been gifted to open God's word and share its lessons in ways that people can live by every day. Now, there is a difference in the translation. Depending on what translation you read, you may see five gifts, as I've just mentioned, or you may see four, because some translations couple the last two. They say pastor slash teacher. And I get it. I understand what's going on there. Let me tell you what I think is happening there. I think this is happening. You can be a teacher and not necessarily be a pastor. But I don't think you can pastor and not teach. I, I really believe that. So I think that's why this is there where it says in some translations, maybe even in your Bible, it'll say pastor, teacher. Now I want you to remember the responsibility that these people gifts have according to Ephesians 4. Let's find out why are they given to us? Why are these people gifts given to us? Well, the first is this, to equip God's people. That's what it says. And that means this. It just means simply supply God's people with the necessary resources to help those people be who God wants them to be. That that's really why these gifts have been given to the church. And it isn't just how to be a good church person. That's not what it's talking about here. It's how to be good in life. Now, I don't know if you've realized this. I think we've done this over about a 50-year period of time that we've made what we do at work secular and we make what we do at church sacred. That should not be the way we live. We should live a sacred life. That's the way we should live. So all the leadership principles that you find in the Word of God, you should be able to apply to everyday situations, every business, everything you face. They are there. Either the leadership principles of the Word work or they don't work. That's just as simple as that. And I find them to work amazingly in my life so whatever it is you do this is why these gifts are given they're to help you be what God wants you to be so it's to equip God's people for what and what do we need to be equipped for I mean do we do we get equipped so we can just hold on to what we get Uh, are we equipped so that we can just lay home and sit on the couch and take it easy no that's not what it says here it says to be equipped for works of service So that everyone should be active in serving God. And by those works of service, the whole body of Christ might be built up and strengthened. That's what it says here. Now let me say just a a few things that are kind of on my heart about, uh, about these important gifts. And understanding the function of these gifts. The gift of apostle and prophet, evangelist, pastor and teacher. I think first of all, these gifts, these people gifts, are determined and given to the church body First of all, you have to know they're given to us by Jesus Christ. Do you see what it says there? It says he gave us these gifts. He's apportioned these gifts to us. Why is that important for us to know? It's important because they do not come to us by self-appointment, nor do they come to us as an institutional appointment. That's, That's huge for us to know. Let me tell you what I mean. I've had some people come to me on occasion and say, hey, I'm a leader. I say, well, really? Well, you're missing one thing. What is it? Well, you don't have any followers. So you can't be a leader if you don't have any followers. Just simple. It's just do the math on this. See, some people want to say, well, I'm a pastor. Or I'm an evangelist. I'm a prophet. Listen, it isn't by putting a label on something. It isn't by appointing somebody. It's what is self-evident. What is already going on in that individual's life. What are they doing? How are they living out in the body of Christ their call? That's really what makes the difference here. So you can't appoint yourself to those positions and you don't look to the church to do that. Oftentimes we do, but that's not the way this should work. Here's something else. The title or label 
doesn't make the person a pastor or a prophet or etc. It doesn't make that. A label, and you know what, can I say this? A title and a label usually mess you up. You know, I've had people come and say, hey, give me this label or give me this title. And I say, not on your life, man. This is going to kill you if I do that. Why don't you just go out and do what God has called you to do. Live out the expression of Jesus Christ here on this planet with your friends, with your church, and let's see what it looks like. You don't need a title. You don't need a label. You just go do it. Now, we do have titles and labels. It makes it a little easier for us to understand, but I'm going to say it this way. It's a label and should be a label that just already recognizes something that's true and happening in the individual's life. For instance, Pastor Al. Pastor Al can't help but be a teacher. He just can't help it. I mean, even when I'm around him, I start getting lessons. You know, when he, when he and I meet, you know what I do? I get homework like three days before. I get homework. Hey, can you go? Five pages. Whoa, man. And he's teaching me through a process. I love it. That's why he hangs out with me because I just ready, fire, aim. But he teaches. He can't help it. So wherever he goes, guess what he's going to do? If he sits with you personally, he's going to teach. If he's with a group, he's going to teach. Wherever he is, he's a teacher. He just can't help it. So it's safe to say he's a teacher. When I hang out with you, I pastor. I sit down. If it's it's one-on-one, if it's a group, and and my style is more like a coaching style. You know, I'm I'm, I'm kind of looking at everybody like, you know, you're athletes in the kingdom of God, and I want to get the best out of you, and I'll figure out how to do that. And so I'll sit down, and I'll talk to you about stuff like that. Right, Dave? And we just sit and we talk about stuff like that. How do we do this? How do we get the best out of this? How do we get the most mileage out of what God is doing? I mean, I can't help it. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter who I sit down with. It doesn't matter who I talk to. That's just the way that I function. Now, these people gifts are, and I want you to hear this. In the way that I see scripture, they're much more organic and less formal than we've made them to be. You know, we like to formalize everything. We like to wrap everything in a neat package. Listen, body life is messy. Church is messy. Your life is messy. It doesn't come that way. It really doesn't happen that way. We want to formalize it. We feel better about ourselves somehow when we formalize it. I think this is just organic. It's just what's going on in the body of Christ. And and I know this. There are people that have these people gifts that, that, that are amazing. And I'll say this, I, you know, I shouldn't ever, or any pastor, should, should never be recognized by their outer garments. Not by a robe I would wear, or a hat I would wear, or a clerical collar I would wear, any of those things. You shouldn't be able, you shouldn't look at me and say, oh, well, that guy's a pastor because of, of the way he dresses. He dresses kind of funny, but that's the way pastors dress, like that. No, you should look at someone who is a pastor or any of the other gifts and say, wow, that person is what, what they are. That that's what they are. That's what they do. That's who they are. No matter where they go, what they do, they just pastor. They just pastor. Uh, one of our first youth gatherings we had when I first arrived at our church, we were sponsoring a youth event. We invited a, a well-known youth pastor to come in and speak. And I just wanted to be there hanging out with the kids. So I was over there about a half an hour ahead, milling around, talking. And, and this guy walks in and he sees me. And I'm, I got a leather jacket on and jeans, you know, and I'm walking around. And, and he looks at me and I say, hey, uh, can I help you? Is there anything you need? He goes, yeah. He goes, yeah, there is. He goes, can you give me a little water? And I'd like a little coffee. And, and, and can, do you got a TV you can put up here? Because I want to show a little thing. I said, sure, get it all done. We got it all done, got it all set for him. I said, everything cool? He said, yeah, it's all good. 
Well, then the meeting starts, and one of the kids gets up, and he introduces me. He says, we just want you to know that Pastor Ron is here today. And, and I went up, and I looked down, and you, this guy's face, the expression on his face, he was flabbergasted. He was sitting there, and I read his lips. He leaned over to somebody, and he says, that's your pastor? And he came up to me afterwards, and he just started profusely apologizing. He goes, I am so sorry. I was asking you to do all that stuff. I thought you were the maintenance guy. I said, I am. I love my job. I love it. You see, it's, it's what we do. It's who we are that, that really defines what God wants to do in the body of Christ. It really brings the power, the strength, the equipping of the saints happens because of the, what God has called us to be. We don't need to be formally recognized. You know, there are people in this church that pastor people all the time. They're not formally pastors. You know, there are prophets in this church. There are. There are prophets in this church. They don't have to announce that they're prophets to prophesy. The real prophets that I've run into this church, they haven't come to me and say, Ron, thus saith the Lord. They have never done that to me, ever. They'll come and they'll say, hey, I, I think I have a little insight. What do you think? And, and that's the conversation. I'll go, whoa, that's amazing. That's prophetic. That's prophetic. You know when you see uh, an attrition in some of these offices or quote what they think are offices is when people don't really acknowledge that or give them the esteem they want. Listen, it isn't about what people recognize. It's about what God sees in our life and then it's affirmed with people around us. That's the way it works. I love the people of this church because I see it working in your life and I see that Paul tells us that all of these people gifts are given to us, the body of Christ, so we will do what? So we'll grow up. I mean, I love what he says here. He's just basically saying in a, in a nice way, a wordy way, the apostle Paul works that way. He says, hey, I'm doing all this so you'll grow up. That's what he says. And then he kind of describes what that might look like if you haven't grown up and when you do grow up. He says, if you haven't grown up, then you, you look like an infant. I mean, if you don't, you're going to be an infant all of your life. If you don't grow up, you're going to be an infant all of your life. Can I say this? There's nothing less becoming than someone who grew up in church but still acts like a baby. He, it's about growing up. And then, so we, we won't be deceived. That's the other thing he says. He says, I want you to grow up so you won't be deceived by every teaching that passes through the body of Christ like wind. Now, I've been around a while, and I've seen a lot of wind. Foul wind. <laughs> and it comes and goes. It's here today, it's gone tomorrow. And that's why you'll always hear us say something here. Jesus Christ is the main thing. He will always be the main thing. He is... Always the same. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Jesus Christ is the Lord of the church. And when we hold on, he's our anchor in these times of storm. He is our anchor. So that we will be so mature. That's what Paul's saying here. I want you to grow up so you'll be so mature that we can speak the truth in love. Now, I want to stop there for a moment. Because I think a lot of us can discern between truth and lies. A lot of us know what's good and what's bad. And I think most of us can speak the truth. But very few actually speak the truth in love. And that's why Paul's saying this. He's saying, you know one of the greatest signs of maturity, as James does, James says, hey, if you can bridle the thing that flopped around in your head, you have mastered the universe. You know what he's saying here? 
He's saying, I'm going to show you, this is the way you can tell if you're really growing up in Christ that you speak the truth in love. Now, I'll speak the truth. I'll speak the truth. I'll speak the truth in judgment. I'll speak the truth in arrogance. I'll speak the truth in condemnation. There are a lot of ways that I'll speak the truth, but it sure isn't in love. Paul says here, you want to know the sign of real maturity? It's one who speaks the truth in love. Someone who can tell the truth in that relationship is intact. There's, there's an integrity about that relationship. Friends, that's where God wants us to be. That's where he really wants to lead us. And then he says this, so that when uh, we join with each other and we support each other and we love each other as each part does its work. Did you notice that little, little catchphrase? As each part does its work. Paul does this wonderful job. He does this wonderful job in Ephesians 4. But I want to elaborate. And he does. He elaborates a little bit for us. And so I'm going to give you, like Al gives me, I'm going to give you a little homework, okay? So if you want to go to places that elaborate on Ephesians 4, other places the Apostle Paul writes, then you look at Romans 12. You look at 1 Corinthians 12. You look at 1 Corinthians 14. The Apostle Paul just unpacks this whole thing for us. And so I can't help but go there. So where I went was 1 Corinthians chapter 12. And in 1 Corinthians 12, 14 through 20, Paul tells us that when we are part of the body of Christ, listen to this, we cannot have an attitude of insignificance. It's forbidden. And this is the way he says it. For the body does not consist of one member, but of many. If the foot should say, because I am not a hand, I do not belong to the body. That would not make it any less part of the body. If the ear should say, because I am not an eye, I do not belong to the body. That would not make it any less a part of the body. Here's what I wonder. I wonder how many people have been sidelined because they've said to themselves, well, I love to come to church but I can't contribute because I really don't have any abilities. Paul seems to to debunk that thought, doesn't he? In fact, I think Paul goes pretty far here. The apostle Paul is saying that if you think of yourself as a member of the body of Christ and you say to yourself, because I can't stand up, I can't preach, I can't teach, I can't lead a meeting, then there's really nothing for me to do. He says here, you are deceiving yourself. You haven't changed reality. Reality is still the same. You're part of the body of Christ. You're still part of that body. But you have to shut your eyes to the truth. That's what happens. You shut your eyes to the truth and you need to open your eyes and see the part that God has given you. There are no, listen to me clearly, there are no insignificant members in the body of Christ. Say amen. Amen. That wasn't loud enough because Mo, you got to say a little louder. Amen. You have to say that because it involves all of you. If you're a Christ follower, this means you. Because when I ask some of you to say amen, you went, amen. (laughs) I think I believe it. No. It says here in the word, you are not insignificant. You are part of the body. Deal with it. That's what Paul's saying here. You got to deal with it. Don't, Don't deny it. Don't run. Don't hide. Deal with it. And he gives us ways that we can absolutely deal with this in our life. I love this about the Apostle Paul. Now, he goes on and he tells us some other things. He not only tells us we cannot have an attitude of insignificance, he says we can't have an attitude of independence either. 
He says that a little further down in verses 21 through 26. It's important we know what it says here. It says, The eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you, nor the head to the feet, I have no need of you. It's amazing, really amazing to me how many people get the idea that they don't need the rest of the body of Christ. In fact, it's probably one of the most dangerous places people can be. They think they can function on their own. They, they have their own abilities, their own ministries. They can do the things that they want to do apart from others. That's not the way this has been designed. God has designed for us to work together. I was with a group of pastors not too long ago and, and, uh, and, and, and lay leaders. And one of the leaders came up to me and he says, uh, uh, Ron, and he introduced himself. He says, I, I'm a doctor and I want to tell you something about what you do. He says, did you know that there's a part of your body that you couldn't do what you do if you didn't have it? I mean, you couldn't stand up there, you couldn't preach, you couldn't teach if you didn't have this one part on your body. And I'm thinking, well, what? I mean, I'm, I'm looking at him. I said, tell me. And he wouldn't tell me. He just kept driving. I said, is it my tongue? No, it's not my tongue. And, and I said, what is it? He goes, Ron, you couldn't stand up and preach or teach if you didn't have your big toe. Your big toe is really important. Because if you don't have your big toe, you stumble around, you flop, you, don't, you can't stand up straight, you lose your balance. You need, you absolutely need your big toe. Well, I can tell you this, since he told me that, I've been guarding my big toe really close. I don't want you stepping on my feet. Don't mess with my big toe. Because I know this, it all has kind of a domino effect. It really does. 19, 1937, 1937 All-Star Game. Dizzy Dean, that tells you a little bit about him. He had a brother named Daffy Dean, so that tells you a little bit about their character. Dizzy Dean's pitching. Only guy in the major leagues at that time and never since has there been a 30-game winner in the major leagues. Dizzy Dean was the last guy to do it. He's pitching in the 1937 All-Star game. He throws a fastball. The guy that's at bat hits it, line drive, right back, hits him on the big toe. And, and he, oh, you know, and he goes out of the game and he tries to get back and he tries, and this is, this is what they said. Dizzy Dean, you fractured your toe. He goes, I didn't fracture it, I broke it. He's a baseball player. You know what he did? Tried to come back, tried to pitch, and because of the pain in that big toe, he altered his delivery, his pitching delivery, his pitching style. It was only two or three years later he was totally out of baseball. He was only in his 20s. Who would have thought that hurting your big toe would take you out of the game forever? Big toes are important. You need your big toe. And I found out I need my big toe. And I say all this to say this because I think we think people, and maybe you think this of yourself if you have the gift of helps. The people with the gift of helps, you know, they're really nice to have around. Food needs to be served. Chairs need to be set up. They see a need and they happily and rejoicefully and they enjoy meeting the need. You know what, we tend to think that they're really nice to have around, but how important are they really? I mean, how important are they to the church? After all, they don't teach, they don't preach, they don't sing, they don't really do anything like that. Can I tell you what had happened to this congregation if we didn't have people who stepped in with the, with the gift of helps? I'm gonna tell you, three, give, me, give us three days and we collapse. Three days, you'd be so tired of us, you, you'd, go, you'd, you'd head out of town, find some other church. You know Why? Because if you didn't have the gift of helps, you'd have come in this morning, this whole place would have been messed up. And you'd say, I don't want to go to a messy church. You know, there are people that, that jump in with the gift of helps and they make this happen. 
So that when we come, guess what happens? We are being equipped. We can focus. There's no distractions. We focus. I've had some good businessmen in our church come to me and they say, you know, I've been watching how this thing works for a while. And I know this from a business standpoint. There's a lot going on behind the scenes to help these people understand God's word. I run a business. I know what it takes to get this done. I know what it takes. I know the manpower. I know the hours. I know what it takes. Listen, people here, and I am so thankful for the people in this church that have the gift of helps. I mean, I've come in. I've come in in weird hours into this sanctuary, and you have people in this place not only cleaning up those pocket chairs and the trash on the floor, they're praying over all the seats that you'll be sitting in. We need people. Just like that. We need them. We are awful and horrible if we don't have that happening in our body life. I'll never forget my dad used to teach a few blocks away. He was a school teacher, a coach. And I, and I remember going a, 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 to his class after, after school because I was probably looking for a baseball or a football or a basketball or blow a whistle or something. I don't know. But I went into his class and I remember I was young and, and everyone was gone and this, this fellow walked in. He, was, he walked into class and he just started cleaning and picking stuff up and my dad stopped me and he kind of turned me around he said see that guy I said yeah he goes I couldn't teach if he didn't do what he did this class would be a mess be disorganized nothing could happen if he wasn't doing what he's doing he, he's, he said he's my best friend <laughs> we need people like that big toes we need you because if we don't have big toes, we stumble around. We stumble all over one another. Nothing gets done. Nothing gets done. We need to remember that. And I want to leave you with something in closing. I want to leave you with an acronym. Some of you are saying, well, how do I do this? I mean, where do I go? What do I, well, how do I apply it? How do I apply this? I'm going to give you an acronym, and this is an acronym that helps you apply what God has given you. The, the acronym is HEART. H-E-A-R-T. Let me tell you what it means. H Stands for heart. That's your personal passion for ministry. I mean, what is it you like to do? What's, what stirs in your heart? What is it that, that you, you just feel drawn to? It's something you love. It's something that you think about. It's something that just stirs you up. What is that? Because that's a passion that the body of Christ needs. And you have it. You have it. I don't know what it is for you, but everyone has something. They have a heart. They have a passion. What is it for you? Identify that. E stands for experience experience, positive and negative experiences that have helped shape your life. And you can contribute those experiences to the body of Christ. And I'll say this, most of the time, the greatest experiences that are contributed to the body of Christ have been birthed out of hardship and trauma and heartache. We wouldn't have any grief classes here if we didn't have people that went through death to show us the way and how to walk through the valley of the shadow of death. But you have that here. You have people that help you through divorce because people have been broken. You have people that help you through abuse because they've been abused. They're wounded healers. They've been wounded, but now they're healed and they want to help others through that. That's experience. And without that, we are shallow in the body of Christ. And I think that's one reason there's been a mass evacuation over the last 20 years because it's not real. But when you have people like this with their experiences and they contribute to the body of Christ, man, you get real fast. 
And then you have A. A stands for anointing. That's your spiritual gifts. You know, how, how you've been spiritually put together kind of thing. And, and, and there's ways to find out what your spiritual gifts are if you don't know. I, 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 there's so many resources out there. We have them in our resource center. We have them everything, everywhere. So if you say, well, I don't know my spiritual gifts, I'll say, hey, go here. And then if you tell me a week later you don't know what your spiritual gifts are, I'll say, sorry, but there's a lot of resources. In fact, I Googled spiritual gifts, ton of them. Good ones. Amazing. Imagine that. So there's no reason today that we shouldn't know what our spiritual gifts are. So that's what it is. A stands for that anointing, spiritual gifts. R. R stands for relationship. Maybe not in the way you think about it. Let me tell you the way I think about it. How you are wired relationally. How are you wired relationally? Now I'm going to tell you why I think this is important. Because some people think, well, if they're in ministry, they need to be outgoing and gregarious. And, and that may not be the way you're wired. So you despise the fact that maybe you like solitude. Or maybe you're a quiet person. Or a bashful person. Or a shy person. That's okay. That's okay. Just know the way you're wired because it's going to make all the difference in the world. Annette and I are wired differently. Annette is wired for more solitude. I'm wired for more action. And, and, and wherever the action is, I'm always looking around. That's why I'm always stirring it up. She said something a while back. She says, yeah, when, when Ron leaves, it's kind of a break for me. And I think, yeah, it probably is. She, uh, she gets the rest. And the staff says the same thing. All right, he's gone, man. He's not going to mess with us. He's not trying to stir it up. And, and it's not like I'm trying to create problems. It's just like I'm always wanting to be in it. I don't like to sit on the sidelines. I hate bleachers. I like the playing field. And so I'm always, and I get, I get stirred up and, and, and I, I, I feel the vitality that, that the God has given me when I'm hanging out with people and looking through and talking about things and we're just stirring it up. Annette, she can go home. She can, stay, she can read a 600-page novel no kidding in like a couple days I, I don't even get through the reader's digest in a week and she's like and she she loves that she just she really that's why God brought us together because they're they're different personalities that relationally we're wired differently not only do we need to know how we're wired but it's good to know how others are wired and I'll tell you why especially those that are good friends and family members because if you don't know how someone else is wired, you don't give them space. You want everybody to be wired like you, and thank God they're not. Thank God they're not. Amen. They're just wired different, and you just need to know that. Robert Flores and I are good friends. We're going to have dinner together tonight, and, and we're just we're good buddies. We've been good buddies for 35 years. And when Robert's come here, he's just outgoing, he's gregarious. But Robert is really a guy of solitude. You wouldn't know that about him. And I found that out about 35 years ago. Man, we're walking somewhere, and all of a sudden I look around, he's gone. I said, where'd he go? He went off for a walk by himself. You know, he just needed to get by himself, probably because I was hanging out with him. <laughs> and Robert, where'd you go? I just was going to, you know. But this is what I do. I know that about him. He gets all the room in the world. The worst thing you can do to someone like that is go to him and say, oh, are we not friends anymore? What did I do? Did I offend you? Please, 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 let me be your best friend. I want to be your best friend. Right then, you don't have any more friends. <laughs> you have to know the way other people are wired so you can give them the space to be who God has called them to be as well. Don't crowd them. Give them some room. And I love that. I love that about relationship. I love that about my relationship with Annette and her relationship with me. It's pretty clear. We know where we're at, and we give each other room in those areas. 
And that's how you can help things happen in the body of Christ as well. So R stands for relationships, how you're wired. T, the last one, stands for talent. Your natural skills, your education, your experience. How your ta- what, are, what are your talents? What are your gifts? And here's the big thing. Let me bring the big thing to this. If you have talents and gifts, pass them on. That's where we blow it. We don't pass them on. And we're meant to pass them on. Did you read the scripture today out of Psalm 100? What did the last thing say? From generation to generation. It's just not talking about your spiritual heritage. It's talking about what you can give, what you can pass on, your gifts. That, that used to be just known in, in ancient days. And even as recently as like 50 years ago. Fathers hung out with sons. They just passed their gifts on. I remember coming here and, and about a year or two after I was here... Uh, some guys were out running the track hose, you know, and, and I love, they wouldn't let me get on the equipment right away, but now, now they do. And so they, because you know what they used to do? They used to ask you to park it out there and take the keys because they knew I'd get in it and turn it on, you know. And then I'd just start playing with all the knobs, the, the, you know. And so, but I, they gave me a lesson on how to do it. But what, what, what was great, and by the way, you know your parking lot out of here? I pack, I did it. Sorry, CanBX, I did it. But I, I noticed something. I noticed a father was teaching his son. This was 24, 25 years ago. He was teaching him how to run a track hoe and, and you know, skilling him and schooling him on, on how to do all that. And, and then about two or three years ago, I looked out the window here and I saw that son now teaching his son how to do this same thing. What was happening there was just incredible imagery for me. To look at that and say, oh, they're just passing this on. They're taking their talents and their skills and they're passing it on. That's what God has asked you to do. What is it you can pass on? What is it you can give to someone else? You all have certain talents. You all have natural skills. There's education. There's expertise. Listen, would you do this? Pass it on and build up the body of Christ. So that we look more like Jesus every single day. Would you bow your head? I'm going to invite our um, worship team to come forward along with our prayer teams. In just a moment, our prayer teams can take their places around this building as well. There's one thing that I want to leave with you today at the end of this message, and it really has to do uh, with your place in the body of Christ. If you're a Christ follower, whether you know it or like it or not, uh, the reality is you're here. You're part of the, the body. The question is, is what are you doing to contribute? How how does that look in your life? Now listen, I know there are a lot of barriers. I know there are a lot of barriers to it. Ones we usually make up. I've heard them all and I've, I've probably said them all. I'm too young, I'm too old, I'm too scared, I can't do this, I can't. All of those are there. They're there, they're there. But it's really never an excuse when we're full of the Holy Spirit. God says, that's why I gave you the Holy Spirit. Because you are going to be freaking out. You are going to be afraid. You are going to try to turn and run. That's why you need my spirit. And today, if anywhere in this message you felt, you know, God tug in your heart, some call it conviction, some call it a a leaning, whatever it may be. If you know somewhere along the line of what we've said today, you have to activate or engage. Then be honest with that. Say, yeah, I do. I do. And with your heads bowed and your eyes closed, if, if, if that rings true in your heart, I want you to lift your hand and say, yep, that's me. 
I have to do that. I have to engage. Good. Thank you. Thank you for your honesty and your confession there. I appreciate that very much. Listen, I want to speak to our older generation. We need you. If for whatever reasons you thought you're washed up, think again. Because we desperately need. We need you. Those that are younger and think, wow, what can I do? Well, Paul told Timothy, do not despise your youth. All of us can play a role. All of us can play a part in building up the body of Christ. All of us. One way or another. Some of you say, well, I, I don't get out much. Well, if you're at home, we can give you a few phone numbers. You can call some people and pray for them. Call and encourage people. There's just so many ways, so many things that we can do to encourage one another, build one another up in Jesus' name. Let me pray for those that lifted their hands. Thank you again for your honest confession. Father, I just pray for those that lifted their hands today that you would ignite again in them that passion to be connected to your body. Maybe some are going through transitions and life doesn't look the same or isn't, really isn't the same as it used to be. Help them through that transition so that they can connect maybe in a different way to the body of Christ than they, than they used to. I know that happens with kids and grandkids and all those things. They, they, they changes. But even in those changes, you never, you never let us off the hook. <laughs> you never tell us we're done. So Father, I just pray that you would give great wisdom to those today that have confessed, I, I, need to, I need to do this. I need to engage. I need to be part. Father, thank you. Thank you for the ministry of your spirit to us. Thank you for never giving up on us. Thank you for always building us up and looking, finding ways that make us more like Jesus. Thank you for that. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You can contact the church office Tuesday through Thursday from 9 to 5 and Fridays from 9 to 3 at 503-266-4444. Please visit us on the web anytime at canbefoursquare.com. Pastor Ron and others on New Life staff, along with occasional guest speakers, trust that the Holy Spirit will use the message to teach you, encourage you, and give you hope.